This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw, hour one of Canuck Central, in case you missed it, for this Wednesday. Kevin Woodley with some incredible insight, as always, on the Canucks goaltending situation, how to best manage Thatcher Demko's workload, why he is still playing at a high level, even though maybe the numbers aren't showing that. And also, will Yaroslav Halak be willing to waive his no-move clause ahead of Monday's deadline. We also talked about OEL, his declining minutes, why that's happening, and how the Canucks can deal with OEL as he's going through a bit of a slump here in his first season with the Vancouver Canucks. Has been a couple of trades. So we mentioned Callie Yarncroke to the Calgary Flames just before the breaks at, and uh, Eric Engels, our... um, Fine reporter out of Montreal now saying Ben Sherratt is off to the Florida Panthers would be the second trade of the day for the Panthers after uh, sending Frank Vatrano to the New York Rangers in exchange for a fourth round pick. Deals are happening, right? Uh, and it's you know you're mentioning this to me off air. Yeah, just like clockwork. Just few days, <laughs> a few days before the deadline, you start seeing the deals happen. Yep, uh, every year it's like a couple of days before you start to see those deals happen, and then by deadline day, there's only so much left. Uh, let's bring in our next guest from uh, the Vegas Golden Knights for the Las Vegas Sun, covering the Vegas Golden Knights for the Las Vegas Sun. It's Danny Webster. Uh, thanks for this, Danny. How are you? Doing good, guys. Hopefully, we can get through this without another trade happening. But uh, doing well, how are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we're doing all right, man. I mean, that's uh, it's the time of year. You're uh, looking at uh, every buzz on the phone to see what's uh, what exactly is happening. And well, I mean, uh, the Canucks are obviously interested in what's going on with the Vegas Golden Knights right now. I mean, this team was was looked at as a juggernaut, but they've certainly had some trouble here through the middle of the season. Now going through a uh, big five-game losing streak. What's what's happening with Vegas lately? I think the, the penultimate thing throughout this whole process is just we're now seeing the Golden Knights banged up, and it's costing them dearly. you got nine guys out of the lineup. You have seven on IR, and, you know, the, the status of Pacioretty and Leonard, who knows what's going on uh, down the road there, and, Right now, they're just losing a lot of man games, and it's really hurting them to this point. And quite honestly, it's hard to pinpoint a fix right now when you look at this group. And you see what they did at the beginning of the year when they go through all those injuries, and it's like, okay, well, they're, they're staying afloat. They're, they're staying atop the division. They're doing well. And now, all of a sudden, we're kind of seeing – just how kind of lackluster the depth is. And right now, it, there doesn't seem to be an immediate fix with this team. And I think that's what's frustrating a lot of people uh, around town right now. Well, and, you know, the frustrating part about that is it's not really the coach's fault, but we see what happens when a team struggles, you can't make changes. Sometimes the coach ends up being the guy that takes the fall. And in this case, could that be Peter DeBoer? Is that something that gets talked about outside of Vegas as an option? Or is that something that realistically could still happen, you believe? Because sometimes we talk about things from the outside looking in, but then, you know, within the market, people kind of realize and they know something else. And they're like, well, it's not going to really happen. They understand it's not DeBoer's fault. But the longer this goal goes, does the heat turn up on DeBoer? 
You know, honestly, I don't think so. And and I think you brought it up. There's, it's not his fault, right? And and I was comparing it to the other day to when Gerard Gallant got fired. Mm -hmm. And that whole situation, they were on a four-game losing streak. They were on the road. uh, And then they make the change in mid-January before the trade deadline. And, you know, the Golden Knights go on a run and they end up winning the division before the pause happens. It's so hard to pinpoint this on the board just because, you got to look at the guys they're missing right now. They're missing Stone. They're missing Pacioretty. They're missing Riley Smith. They're missing Martinez. They're missing McNabb. The laundry list just goes on and on and on. And, you know, the way that this team is currently constructed, it's so top-heavy, and I think there are also a few guys that have been a little underperforming in that aspect. And I think you can look at that, too, as a possibility of why they're not playing as well. But, at the end of the day, I think DeBoer has kind of earned a little bit of a pass. Now, if this were to go into, you know, complete free fall of maybe 12, 13 games, which I don't foresee happening, maybe you can have the conversation. But I also think when we're talking about the way that the, the, the heat might be turned up, honestly, I think a lot of people are looking at the wrong person and probably need to be looking at Kelly McCrimmon as the potential, you know, the whole situation with this is because he's the one that's gone all in and has put the salary cap in a position to where that they could possibly miss the playoffs because they don't have the depth around them. And so the trade deadline on Monday is going to, I think to be a big indicator of what happens and how McCrimmon kind of weaves through the waters here. There's uh, you know, the, the injuries have made it so difficult for this Vegas team and it, it's also in a position where it's like, okay, we're getting Jack Eichel back and or you know into our lineup, but you know I guess when when everybody's healthy, you kind of expected at least he'll have some insulation, right? As he works himself back into game shape and back towards being a star center that he is, and he may not get there until the start of next season. I think that's totally understandable given what he went through and how much time he missed before coming to Vegas, but. For me, it kind of puts a microscope on Jack to kind of already be leading this team because they're just so banged up elsewhere. Yeah, and the funny thing is, is Eichel's been their best offensive player, and and it hasn't even been close. The way that he's been, you know, he doesn't look 100% quite yet, I think, in terms of conditioning and whatnot, but it seems like every game... He's always been the aggressor on the forecheck. He's always looked active defensively when the games haven't gotten out of hand. And I think he's kind of put a jolt into this offense that's you know been sorely needed when no one else outside of maybe Jonathan Marchessault has been able to pick up the slack offensively. And, you know, I think if the Golden Knights are able to get healthy, depending on what happens at the trade deadline, who's activated off injured reserve and who isn't, if you get this kind of Jack Eichel on a team playing with a fully healthy Golden Knights team, that's such a nightmare to face in the playoffs. And again, there's 20 games to go. Who knows what's going to happen? But right now, Jack Eichel has been probably the only reason why the Golden Knights have not fully fallen out underneath the bottom from how everything has happened. He's been great. And, you know, I think a lot of people looked at that comment in Buffalo the other night and was like, oh, maybe he's not really the right fit here. But he looks really good. I, I think just he needs the guys around him. I think that's just no other way to put it. 
Well, and, you know, when I'm looking at this team, too, on the back end, one guy that, you know, I've kind of been curious curious about long-term and how he fits is kind of Shea Theodore. I mean, we know how incredible a player he is, but what do you think of how he's played and his progression and, and how it's working with him and Petrangelo on the back end? I think Theodore has definitely hit the uh, hit the struggle button here. I, I think that the way he's playing defensively, he's kind of, I don't want to use the words checked out. I think that's a little too extreme, but I do think he has definitely struggled on that side of the puck. And, you know, I think when you're looking at a defense led by Theodore and Petrangelo, you kind of want those two guys to kind of engage in themselves offensively when your offense isn't going. And Petrangelo, I think for the most part has done that. Shea Theodore has been very quiet as of late, and I think his progression and his development over these last couple of weeks has definitely hurt the way the Golden Knights want to play their game. And if he's not scoring at a level that I know that a lot of people expect him to do, that is just another notch in the cap of how bad this struggling has been. So I do agree. I don't think he's played extremely well, and I think – He's one of those guys that likes to turn it on toward the end of the year. But absolutely, his play has kind of been a little bit of alarming uh, to this point. So what do you expect to see here uh, before Monday? Um, it's Obviously, the cap situation is what it is, so it's very difficult to see Vegas adding much unless they are sending money out at the same time. But uh, could you see them potentially, you know, moving out salary to try and be able to activate Mark Stone before season's end? I think in order for them to get to that point, they're going to have to. And now with Riley Smith being injured, I think that kind of puts a little bit of a wrench into those plans. I ultimately think, depending on if Robin Leonard is out long-term, and we really don't know the answer to that right now, I think we'll find out more tomorrow I I would expect the Golden Knights to make a play for a goalie. And I honestly, you know, looking at the goalies around the league, the options are limited because I think we can all rule out a Marc-Andre Fleury reunion here because I don't think that's going to happen. So the options are limited. If you, unless you fully believe within your 100% capability that Laurent Brassois and Logan Thompson are your two that you can rely on for these last 20 games, they're going to need to try and shed some salary out to go get a goalie. I do think they should somehow, in some capacity, try and get another score within the middle six. I think Evgeny Dodonov has been a major disappointment for this team this year. And I think the pie-in-the-sky situation would be that they try and ship Dodonov, but I know they're going to probably have to add a couple of sweeteners into the pot in order for somebody to take on two years left at $5 million. So. The Gold Knights are really in a tough bind. I have absolutely no idea which way they ultimately go, but the the decisions that are made or are not made between now and noon on Monday are going to play a huge factor in how the Golden Knights view the rest of this season. Danny, this is uh, this has been awesome. Thanks for your uh, your insights today. Appreciate it. Appreciate you having me, guys. Thanks a lot. Uh, there is Danny Webster, Golden Knights reporter for the Las Vegas Sun. Give me all the Shea Theodore turmoil. <laughs> all of it. I'm Man, here for it. There's a couple of takeaways I have there. Shea Theodore. My guy. Potentially being available. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not now, but maybe in the summer that's something you could look at. Or the other one, 
is uh, looking for a goalie. And we just talked about Yaroslav Halak. Yeah. Could that be a veteran presence that they are looking at with Robin Leonard on the shelf? Well, so... There's a lot there. Yeah. On Halak, for instance, would Vancouver trade him to a team they're fighting for a playoff spot with? I mean, that, that's the team you're that trying way. to catch. You want them to have bad goaltending. Yes. Do you want to help them keep <laughs> yeah. you out of the postseason, essentially? And what's the price going to be for Yaro Halak? Realistically, it's not going to be a second. No. It's probably not going to be a third. And hey, I'm all for trading him. I'm saying, is it worth taking a fourth or a fifth or something for Yaro Halak to send him to Vegas? For him to fight against you. Now, the flip side of that is look at the Islanders who had him. And ever since they've played him, since they had him on their team, they they solve him. So maybe the Canucks can just ventilate Halak every time they face him. But I just wonder, like, would they actually make that move with that team? Or would they want a bit more than a late round pick, for instance? That would be interesting. Now, when it comes to a player like Shea Theodore, that's the kind of thing, Sat, that... You want to have open and available cap space for come the draft so that you can be a potential player should Shea Theodore be available in trade. You know, I think that's a 26-year-old defenseman signed for three more years at a very manageable number, uh, plays both the left and the right side, um, is a left shot D, but can play the right side, has played the right side. I mean, he kind of ticks a lot of boxes Yes, for a Vancouver Canucks team looking to get better on the back end. And in the offseason, especially with how their cap is built up, they're going to have to shed money, right? And this is where it comes back to the conversation we've had, having some cap space this offseason. If you have some cap flexibility this offseason and a few extra assets at your disposal you might have some opportunity to do some things, right? Mm -hmm. And if they're looking to offload somebody, and the contract for Shea Theodore is very, very good, $5.2 million for three more years. It's a very manageable number. So part of you says, well, why wouldn't they just make it work there? But like Danny Webster kind of mentioned, things haven't been as rosy with Theodore mm -hmm. there, right? Like, And you kind of wonder, is this going to work? Especially with Petrangelo being similar and playing the similar role type of deal. Because you can, you can build it out and say, okay, Especially with how he can play the right side. And especially if you find a taker for Myers this offseason, then maybe you work out a way where yeah. this kind of makes sense, right? Where you can go out and get this guy. And on the right side, I think a guy like Theodore can play the left or the right side despite being a lefty. That gives you something. It could be a really good fit on a team like Vancouver if you have the cap, cap flexibility to do so. And we've seen Vegas not be afraid to trade within their division. They traded Nate Schmidt here for a third-round pick before too, right? I mean, to me, Shea Theodore is the guy that... If you can pry him, whether it's Vancouver or somebody else from Vegas, that can be the real value defenseman that somehow gets moved this offseason. It's going to cost a lot. It won't be cheap, but that's the guy I have circled, and I'm sure a lot of really good hockey teams have him circled. Well, I mean, he would... Uh, teams are always looking for stand-up defensemen uh, and great defensemen. Theodore would tick that box. I mean, here's another guy that uh, isn't too far removed from Norris consideration. Yeah, man, he's terrific. And, you know, he can do a bit of everything. It, it, defensively, it has been a bit of a struggle for him this year. And I think yeah. that's one thing that, you know, has them a bit spooked to some degree. But again, 
I think he's a guy that's from this area too. You're not going to be able to get a Jacob Chikrin because they cost too much. Yep. Asset-wise. Exactly, right? You're going to have to take a chance on a defenseman one way or another. It's either going to be a guy that you're hoping is going to be a bit better mm-hmm. when it comes to your organization or you find a guy before he's broken out. Because I'm telling you, guys that are perfect, you're not acquiring those guys. I mean, you saw, I mean, Seth Jones is imperfect. What did it cost to acquire Seth Jones? Yeah. And it was a massive deal, right? And then they had to give him the contract, too. This is cost certainty already in your backyard with uh, with Shea Theodore. Finished sixth in Norris voting each of the last two seasons. Um, I think that's a really interesting player that could come available. And we immediately, anytime this happens, we get trade hypotheses on our Dunbar Lumber text line. But... Um, you know, maybe you know a hockey deal of uh, Garland for uh, Theodore, where the money kind of matches up. Like that—that's just total theory. But you know, like that's kind of the thing I would imagine Vegas is looking at because they're not looking to get worse. You know? No, the only thing they might be looking for is the flexibility in and of itself. Maybe right? just take strictly picks so that they can get the money off their books entirely. And especially with the amount of assets they have traded recently too, yeah. right? And to get some of that back, get some flexibility back to help you reload in different ways. So uh, a couple of different options there uh, with Shea Theodore. Um, mentioned a couple of trades that were happening. Well, we do have returns on said deals sat um let's just say ben Sherat is getting a pretty big haul for the montreal canadians from the florida panthers to the panthers ben Sherat, who is a rental defenseman to the montreal canadians a 2023 first round pick a 2022 fourth-round pick, and prospect Ty Smolanik. Montreal is also retaining half of Sherratt's salary. Uh, David Pignotta, who will be joining us in a couple of moments, uh, saying that this does not take Florida out of the Claude Giroux sweepstakes. He's playing his 1,000th game in Vegas tomorrow. Or, sorry, in Philadelphia tomorrow. And the return for Callie Yarncroke uh, going to Calgary, joining up with his cousin, Elias Lindholm, uh, Yarncroak to Calgary for a second in 2022, a third in 2023, and a seventh in 2024. Seattle also retaining 50%. There was a lot of competition for him per Elliot Friedman. So yeah. quite a bit of uh, draft pick haul for uh, some of these rental players, Seth. Yeah, and I think the one that uh, fans are most interested in to relate to Vancouver would be the Cali Yarncroc one, right? Yeah. That's the closest trade you can look at and say, is that a comparable somewhat to Tyler Mott? And Tyler Mott is younger than Cali Yarncroc, but a Yarncroc is going to be a UFA, same situation, Mott's in, and they retain some salaries, so the contract's just over a million, which is, you know, what, what Mott's going to be getting paid here too. Yarncroc, however, is a superior player and has had a superior track record, right? And that's not a slight uh, Tyler Mott. Just to be clear, I don't think the Canucks are getting the same type of value back in return. Kelly Yarncroc, this season, um, what, he has 26 points 
in 49 games, 12 goals. He's a guy that has kind of been in that 30-point range. You know, he scored 16, 15 goals per year consistently his entire career, essentially, right? And he's been a two-way guy, can play center, can play wing. So I would say that Kelly Yarncroft is a higher-valued asset than Tyler Mott. But if you're trading a second or third and a seventh for Yarncroft, does that mean Mott's value is a second-round pick? It should be. I think uh, that second-round pick is Florida's as well. So um, a late de- second. definitely a late, late second going to the Seattle Kraken, who desperately need draft picks uh, because they didn't get any when they were going through the expansion draft last year. Um, I, I've long thought Mott should be worth a second-round pick, and, um, and I do think the Canucks should take that. If it uh, it is offered to them before Monday's deadline and they don't have an extension in place for Mott, it just Patrick Alvin said it himself. We are not in a position to lose unrestricted free agents for free. So, I mean, when the GM says it himself, I have to listen to what he's saying. Listen, anything can happen. I don't think any of us really know ultimately what will happen. And we try to do our best report and stuff like that. And I, I totally believe that there's a chance Mott doesn't get traded. And perhaps there's an opportunity where he doesn't get traded and they don't end up actually signing him because they can't agree to a contract. That's all within the po- realm of possibility, right? I still have a hard time believing, Dan, that if they hold on to Mott beyond the deadline, he's just going to be a rental, that they don't end up keeping him. I just, I just don't see that happening. And, yeah. and, that's, and that's just my opinion. I, they would at least try, I, I would have to imagine. If they don't trade by, Mott by Monday, they would at least try to keep him. Of course, there would have to be some other dominoes that fall with this team and some of their other contracts like a Jason Dickinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Dan Riccio, Satyar Shah. David Pinota is jo- going to join us next. His take on some of the trades that have happened today and what he's hearing three days out, or uh, less than a week out, I should say, from the NHL trade deadline. It is Canuck Central. This hour of Canuck Central is presented by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Coming up after 6 o'clock, it's an overrated, underrated Wednesday, so I think you guys know how it works. It's uh, stolen straight from Gary V, but you give us a topic. Sat and I debate if that is overrated or underrated. So, um, already seeing some of the uh, listener submissions for overrated, underrated today, and mm-hmm. they are pretty, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, uh, I enjoy them. I can't wait to do overrated, underrated. So, if you want to get more in, get them in now before we get to that coming up in the final segment. Before we get some other stuff at 6.30. Uh, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, overrated, underrated. Ben Chirot, who was just traded to the Florida Panthers for a unprotected first-round pick in 2023. Uh, prospect Ty Smolanik and a fourth-round pick as well. Yeah, I mean... It's, Rental defenseman. It's rent, quite the price. You know, to get that, to get the fr- protect, unprotected first-round pick. Now, hey, 
what are the chances? Yeah, Florida's going to be pretty good next They're year. They're going to be good. They're going to be fine. But hey, but but the reality is anything can happen, right? Yep. And it's a better draft or in theory, potentially a better draft, right? So having that unprotected first just as an asset in and of itself, it's really valuable. But Sherrod was considered the best defenseman on the market, right? Especially as a rental. So the price was always going to be pretty high. Uh, our next guest... Is priceless. It is uh, David Pignotta of the fourth period joining us here on Canuck Central. What's happening? Look at you buttering my rolls over here. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, uh, we got to keep you on unless uh, there's there's another trade here made. But uh, a lot happening. You know, I think. Uh, look, I, I'm just going to be straight. I I'm kind of surprised Montreal got the haul that they did for. Uh, for a rental defenseman in Ben Chirot. 54 playoff games in his last four seasons. Um, that that was very and is very valuable to the Florida Panthers and was valuable to all the other teams that were in on him. Um, to see him play those minutes, uh, especially last season on that drive to the, to the cup final, uh, a lot of teams really had a lot of interest in him because of the experience that he had these last four seasons, two with Winnipeg and the last two with, with Montreal. Um, so that played a big factor in, con- in, in, excuse me, in, in trade talks with not just the Panthers, but the other teams that were in on him, Toronto, to a certain extent, St. Louis, um, Carolina, and so on. So this was uh, a player that was, was highly coveted. I, I think I agree with you. He was, uh, I think Sat mentioned the top guy uh, from, from the defensive market perspective. I think he was, pushed down a little bit once Lindholm became available. But mm-hmm. still, again, the, the experience that he has in the postseason uh, over the last four seasons is, is definitely something that caught a lot of teams' attention. And Florida is basically all in. Um, and the Habs retaining half of his salary made it that much sweeter for the for the Cats. Well, and you know, you mentioned Lindholm, and you're right. I mean, him being on the market, he's an absolute stud. So if Sherratt's getting this, and teams that were in on Sherratt that did not get him, what does this do to Hampus Lindholm's market? Um, it, it it puts some of the other teams that were in on Sherratt. Um, uh, puts their backs up against the wall a little bit because now, I mean, the teams that viewed Sherrod as potential backup plan are now going, okay, well, we don't have Sherrod. We, we don't have Manson. Um, <laughs> next on the list is Mark Giordano, uh, Calvin DeHaan, some of the other guys. So you're, you're looking at Lindholm going, we, we may have to up the ante here to make something happen, a first-round pick this year, and then perhaps uh, – perhaps more so uh, beyond, you know, that. For, I mean, I've heard discussions of, you know, a first round pick an equivalent to a first round prospect, um, not necessarily drafted in the first round, but, but viewed at that, um, at that asset value. And then another piece, I mean, I mean, even if I'm Anaheim at this point, I'm, I may even look at this and go, do I want to give him seven, eight years or, or at this point, do I just want to take the return based on what Florida just paid? So that's something that Patrick Beek has to figure out here in the next little while. Uh, we saw a couple of uh, depth forwards get moved today. Uh, Frank Vetrano yep. goes from uh, the Florida Panthers to the Rangers for a fourth-round pick, but uh, Callie Yarncroke going to the Calgary Flames for mm-hmm. uh, a pretty big pick haul going to the Seattle Kraken. And 
I think that one is in, of interest for um, you know Canucks fans as it, we're kind of looking at it as a potential comp trade value wise to Tyler Mott. Now Yarncroke would be yep. probably a tick or two above, but uh, that's that's kind of the market we're looking at for some of the uh, more sought after bottom six forwards, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Plus, you know, Yarncroke's at uh, a two million dollar cap hit. Yeah, and Mott's less at, at one point two two five. So. You know, if you can pull off a second and a third round pick, um, I mean, that. I, the other thing in, in that deal, Seattle's retaining 50%, mm-hmm. so they're retaining a million bucks. Um, so it, it's going to be very similar, I would imagine, with respect to to the return. Maybe not three pieces, maybe it's two, maybe it's a second and a fourth or two thirds or something along those lines, depending on what they ultimately come to terms with. But yeah, you're right. I think that's a solid comparable in terms of what Calgary gave up, what Seattle got for Yarncrook, and what uh, what the Canucks may potentially get if they decide to deal Tyler Mott. Well, and as far as that actually happening or not, I mean, it's hard to say what this management team is ultimately going to do, but what sense are you getting about where they are with Tyler Mott right now? I, I, haven't, um, I haven't heard that much with respect to getting him locked in. I, I think, you know, looking at this team, um, you know, yes, they are, you know, right in the thick of things now in that wild card race. Um, and, well, I guess just even in the division based on how, you know, Edmonton and Vegas have been playing. Um, but I, I think uh, it's, it's, it's two different angles, right? Like, I don't think they're going to give up their big guns in, in, in any type of deal at, at this point. And, and big guns, I, I specify that as, as, J.T. Miller and Brock Besser. Connor Garland, I still think, is, is up in the air. Um, I think it's 50-50 at this point, quite frankly, uh, whether or not he's, he's moved, if they can get the right hockey-type deal in place by the deadline. But, you know, looking at some of their depth pieces, do you want to strike while the iron's hot? Are you going to get a second and a third or a second and a fourth or a good enough package that will convince you to say, okay, we can, we can supplement somebody in, we can keep somebody in the lineup full term, for the rest of the season and still not necessarily miss a beat, whether it's Nick McCann or whomever um, and move out Mott and get those picks and either utilize them ourselves via the draft or package them up in, in moves that they may potentially make in the off season. Okay. Uh, like a, like a dog, my ears perked up a little bit when you said Connor Garland, 50, 50 chance <laughs> of being traded. Um, I, I, look, I, I would understand why there's there's interest around Garland. Uh, we've talked about it here, debated it. You know, why would the Canucks be looking at something like that? Uh, what are you hearing on Connor Garland, and how much interest is there uh, for the Canucks forward? I think there's a considerable amount of interest, um, you know, in him. A lot of a lot of teams like his speed, like the offense that he can bring. They, they like his his contract. Um, you know, for the, for the most part, as a guy that a lot of teams view as a second-line threat. Um, you know, this is, this is a player that a lot of people like. And, you know, the Canucks, the way that they have, well, I guess their current roster kind of structured, you know, is he bouncing around on the top line one day, the third line the next? I mean, where do they really view him? And I think that's played a factor in their willingness to explore uh, the trade market for Connor Garland and, and to, to, to take calls on him. Um, 
you know, it's no secret they want to bolster their blue line. Can they make that happen with him? Is there another deal out there that can, that can work? Um, or is it, let's set the bar now, let's set the tone now, and then reconvene in the summer and, and try to get something done. I think their depth up front and how they view him, uh, I don't think the team is sold on what position he really fits in this lineup in terms of first, second, third line. Uh, and, and I think that's making him more expendable um, as they try to fill some some holes elsewhere. Yeah, and you know it is going to. You're right. I mean, we'll see if these bigger things happen now or the off season. But one other thing that did uh, kind of go down today, which which was interesting, was a Tomas Hurdle contract extension, one point eight point one three seven million or so over eight years, a massive contract, huge haul for a guy that hasn't even put up the numbers JT Miller's put up. So if you're JT Miller in his camp and you see a guy who's one year younger than you at UFA this year instead of next year signing that contract, what do you think that says for? what his demands might be probably smiling um (laughs) i I would i would imagine um honestly i don't think i think that's something he'll look at you know in in the off season when they get to that point i don't think that's something that's overly um you know top of mind for for jt miller or quite frankly his agent either um i think it's just a matter of getting through these next few days so that the chatter can at least die down and then just focus on the stretch run and trying to get this team in, into the postseason. Um, I, I think that that's also something based on how he's performed, you know, on the ice, how he conducts himself off the ice in the locker room. Um, th- this is a leader for this group. And, and I think uh, the coaching staff and management it, it, see that, acknowledge it, like it. And, you know, I, I, I think the tune kind of changed as these couple of months of, kind of passed in terms of willingness to listen versus you really got to blow our socks off or this is just, I mean, we're not even going to consider it at this stage. And I think that's where it's at. And I think there's a willingness to keep this relationship and this marriage going beyond the, the end of his contract. And they'll get those discussions going in the summer. Um, but in terms of comparables, yeah, I mean, you're looking at Thomas Hurdle at just over 8 million bucks a season and you're going, based on what I've performed, what I can do um, on and off the ice within, within this group. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the low point of what his dollar figure is probably Mm going to come in at. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Now, before we move off the Canucks, uh, have you heard anything about any other names out there, whether it's guys like Myers or Hamannick or anything else, or is it still just generally quiet around Vancouver? Uh, There's, I, I mean, there's poking around and things like that with Myers, um, I know that they've had some discussions. Uh, I don't know if they've originated them or, or if they, or if other teams did, but I know there have definitely been discussions, but you know, there was confusion around his no trade. It's full until, uh, July, whatever, 13th or, or then it turns into a 10 team, no trade. Um, I, I don't think there's anything there. I think the discussions, if anything, may be one of these scenarios where it's, something that's reconvened in the off season and, and, and they look to it there. My understanding is there's been no discussions, excuse me, between uh, the Canucks and Myers's camp with respect to his uh, willingness to either wave or, or anything along those lines. There's, there's been nothing. So um, I think if anything, it may be due diligence for future discussions with respect to, to Tyler Myers outside of that. I, I think the Canucks, you know, other than, other than Mott, I don't think they want to do too much. I think they want to roll with this group. 
um, because it's also a very good indicator of the future. Who's going to step up when push comes to shove and when things really count uh, and when you're battling for a playoff spot and trying to get into it. I mean, that's the peak uh, that you want to see these guys performing at. So I, I think they want to really evaluate the core of this team, the bulk of this team over these next six and a half weeks at this point that that's left in the regular season. And then that'll give them a really good indicator as to who fits and who doesn't in their eyes moving, moving forward. So I think they'll, they'll have to do those due diligence conversations and they'll take the calls, but I don't think we're going to see anything overly impactful um, other than the potential mock trade and, and what may happen with Connor Garland. We've always felt like, um, you know, Brock would Brock Besser would either have to be a uh, a long term extension or maybe he gets moved because of the the qualifying offer. Do you think there's a, a maybe a middle ground here uh, for player and team where they could look at a three or four year term rather than going uh, into the six year range? I've never gotten a sense um, speaking to people on both sides. Uh, I've never really gotten a sense that the QO is a concern. Um, I, I think there's a, a good understanding um, on on both sides that they'll be able to figure something out and you don't need to use the high qualifying offer as uh, either a weapon on his side or the turret on the, on the Canuck side. Uh, I think there is middle ground. I don't know specifically what that may be. And I don't think they've had discussions lengthy enough um, that that have gotten to that point yet. I just think there's an understanding from what I've been hearing um, that, look, let's not worry about the qualifying offer. Yeah, it's there, but that's just semantics. We'll be able to figure out something here in some fashion, whether it is one year, uh, three, four year, or, or beyond. Um, let's, let's figure out something that makes sense for everyone involved and then kind of go from there. That's, that's the overall um, sense that I've gotten with respect to, conversations between new Canucks management and Brock and his camp. Uh, now, Pags, kind of putting you on the spot a little bit because none of us know uh, what's going to happen at this stage, but already a couple moves today. Moves keep happening. Uh, is there a situation you're keeping an extra close eye on right now that might go down over the next little bit? I'm very curious um, with respect to Claude Giroux. Uh, you know, normally, like he's going to be playing in his thousandth game on Thursday. Typically, teams wait until the next home game mm-hmm. to celebrate that. Uh, his celebration is happening that, that game, that uh, right before. So that, that, when that was announced, was a bit of a head-scratcher. I believe there is one team. It, it could be Florida because they, they've been really very much in the mix. It could be Colorado. Um, but I believe there is a structure of a deal in place right now that almost makes it happen. It's not going to obviously happen now. They're going to play that 1,000th game. So I'm keeping tabs on that. I want to see if that's going to be a Friday type of move. Maybe it gets pushed a little bit. Um, they obviously have the dollars that they have to figure out. But in terms of what a package looks like, it, it, it sounded to me earlier today. And then after Florida's move, I kind of checked in again before coming on with you guys and was told pretty much the same thing. The Sherrod acquisition does not affect what may happen in Florida with respect to Giroux. Colorado is still there. So one of these teams has some type of structure of a deal in place, and then they just got to figure out the financials. So I, I, I'm keeping tabs on that. I think Chicago is going to be really active over these next few days 
think they've got multiple things that they're working on. We heard the reports of Kubalik uh, earlier today. Uh, one of their reporters, I think it was Ben Hope, I can't remember, indicating Edmonton and, and Anaheim. I haven't heard much on Edmonton, quite frankly, but I think L.A. is definitely in that mix as well. Um, and, and before their game last night, I, that, I'd heard the Kubelik talks had really escalated. Um, so I was a little bit surprised that he played, but he was fine. So I guess it's okay. Uh, but also Dylan Strom, those conversations in Chicago have been picking up as well. So um, certainly stuff to keep tabs on. And then, and then there's the big guy. There's, there's, I guess, the other big guy in Jacob Chikrin. Um, I, I think we're going to see something happen here before mm-hmm. the deadline with him. Um. We've heard uh, the the Leafs linked to the Canucks and several rumors. We know the Leafs are probably looking at everyone. Something. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, they checked in on Dan Riccio yeah. too. Yeah, uh, they might have. Yes, exactly. The, the Leafs have checked in on on pretty much everybody available. Um, but one player that that has come up often and we've talked about on the show is Timothy Lilligren as a piece the the Canucks do like. I I have to feel like uh, that's not a name the Leafs are willing to part from, given um, how well he's played this year and now been a fixture next to Morgan Riley for Toronto. Yeah, they do really like him, um, and and I, I've I haven't gotten any indication that they're seriously considering uh, you know moving him at this stage. Um, and, I mean, things obviously change, and I could be wrong and whatnot, but, I, I mean, I, I haven't gotten that indication from the team that they're overly motivated to move him or, or Rasmus Sandin um, at this point from their back end. They're looking for a defenseman. Yeah. Um, and with Sherratt out of the mix, and they kind of fizzled off him lately, but, um, you know, whether it's a Calvin DeHaan or Mark Giordano or they go all in for Hampus Lindholm, then those talks have escalated. Um it sounds like they're going to get somebody, but in terms of the young guys that they've got with both Lilgren and Sandine, I would be pretty surprised unless it's something pretty significant. Um, I just don't see it. I don't know if it's, and yeah, the, uh, we've talked about before the, the, the discussions with Vancouver. I don't think they've gotten that far, um, but unless they're bringing in somebody with term or who is controllable, I don't really, I, I don't think that's, that's a name that they're willing to move. Uh, Dave, we appreciate the time as uh, as always. Thanks for this. You got it, boys. Enjoy the next uh, whatever four days, five days. <laughs> yes, then we can focus on hockey. Wow, what a world! Or just uh, what the Canucks will do in the next five months uh, for the summer. So we'll, we'll see how it works out. Thanks for this. Enjoy, boys. See ya. There he is, David uh, Pinota of the Fourth Period, joining us uh, here on Canucks Central. Uh, coming up, overrated, underrated, but uh, you know I do think the uh, returns on some of these trades even uh, Ben Sherratt you know seeing some guys who follow prospects say they're kind of shocked that Montreal got a first round pick and Ty Smolanic mm-hmm. I don't know much about the player personally but uh, to hear some people you trust say that uh, and their uh, assessment of young players um, that's pretty impressive for Montreal, and it makes you wonder what the prices could be like over the next few days, considering Sherratt is just a rental. Exactly, right? And um, it's it's what we talked about when teams are really in go-for-it mode, Yeah, and teams have a lot of young players and a lot of assets, like a team like the Florida Panthers do. Trading him is a lot easier for that team because of everything they have. Mm-hmm. You know, for a team that is that doesn't have as many young players or good players, he might be a player you simply cannot afford to move. 
for Florida, they're like, they might look at it and say, we're not, we're not even sure how he's going to fit in on our team in four years yeah. or three years with how our roster is constructed and who else we have in our pipeline. There isn't a place for him. That's how it works when you build a really good foundation the way the Panthers have right now, right? So I think the price is reflective of a team that had a need for a certain type of player on the back end, and they were happy to meet it. And that's why the Panthers have kind of been in the driver's seat in in so many different situations because they have the ability to not only get Sherrod, but also go and get Claude Giroux and make that work. And if they do both of those things... You're still in a spot where you feel good about your future. Now, with them being done and out of this, what other team is willing to go above and beyond here, right? And that's kind of the question when it comes to a guy like Hampus Lindholm, but he's going to be UFA. Chikrin's the guy um, that, that's still available yep. too. But if you're a UFA, if you're a team that has a UFA defenseman that's high end. Oh, man. Giordano and, uh, and Lindholm now, like... You could expect huge prices if those guys... Well, I I expect Lindholm to move because Pat Verbeek said we're not keeping rentals here. So um, it's only going to be a matter of what that deal looks like uh, and if they get a similar offer to what Florida gave up for Sherratt. I mean, like... I don't think there's a question that Giordano, even at his age, is a better defenseman than Sherratt. But Sherratt plays a certain style and has done so effectively. Yeah. And he did it in the postseason last year and all the way to the cup final last year for Montreal. So he pre- represents something that doesn't exist on the market anymore. Rugged, big, stay-at-home, tough defenseman that, that's good in a matchup role and is going to be very valuable for you in the postseason. Gio's not that. Yeah. So I don't know if Gio ultimately gets the same type of return. But in theory, he's a better defenseman. But again, I think it's also what Sherratt represented as a unique player. Yeah. And it was Manson. But Manson struggled so much that his value had just plummeted. So one thing I want to touch on before we hit the break, and I know we're already late. But like as we've talked about with a lot of the Canucks players, they still do have term on their deals. Mm-hmm. And there is the thought that, well, because they have term, they deserve more in trade return than a traditional rental would. How much more would a team be willing to give up than what we just saw Florida give up for Sherratt? Are you getting an extra prospect? Are you getting an extra pick? Like that's that's kind of the conundrum that I think the Canucks are dealing with. It's like if we're not getting premium return on any of these guys, why would we move now? And I think it's the same thing with a guy like Jacob Chikorin. Because that's similar, but he has even more term, right? Younger defensemen and all that sort of stuff. It's like, yeah, the Sherrod package was probably available for them. Has been. But why would they make that deal? That's a traditional trade deadline deal for a rental. And that's that's not different from what you would get next year. So you go down this path. Precisely. You can make the same deal next year if this is what teams are offering. And teams give up more at the deadline, but they give up more relative to what a rental would cost. A guy that's coming in for one year. And the market's been set. What is that? It's a first round pick. It's a prospect and something else. Sometimes a player, sometimes another pick. In this case, it was an extra draft pick, right? Is a team willing to go beyond that? Now, if you're getting Chikrin, maybe somebody does finally say, screw it, here's two first-round picks or whatever. But are you getting you know, that young player that can step into your lineup right away? It's still a prospect, right? And it's a good prospect, but it's not a team's best prospect. And if the Canucks are moving, say, JT or whatever, they would want a team's absolute best young prospect or a really good young player. And right now, teams aren't offering those guys for rentals. They're not offering those guys for the types of players that are available. And 
it's very much a buyer's market in that sense too. It's uh, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Coming up, overrated, underrated. Get your final submissions in for everybody's favorite Wednesday segment here on Canuck Central. That's next. Sports at 650.